Welcome to this episode of CEO Perspectives, a signature series by the Conference Board. CEO Perspectives are conversations to take an objective, nonpartisan look at a range of subjects that matter most to business leaders. To help make sense of these topics, we sit down with thought leaders and do what we do best at the Conference Board, provide trusted insights for what's ahead. I'm Steve Odlin from the Conference Board and the host of this series. And in today's conversation, we're going to be talking about the U.S. debt ceiling. The president and top lawmakers are in a deadlock over raising the $31.4 trillion U.S. debt limit with a little over two weeks time to go at the time of this recording before the country potentially defaults. You are listening to CEO Perspectives, a podcast by the Conference Board. Joining me today are Dr. Lori Esposito-Murray, the president of the Committee for Economic Development, which is the public policy center of the conference board, and Dana Peterson, the chief economist of the conference board. Dana and Lori, welcome to the program. Thank you, Steve. Hi, Steve. Okay, so Lori, let's start with you. Um, You're going to come at this from a public policy standpoint. Please help our listeners understand why do we have a debt ceiling? What's the history of it? How does this thing usually work out and so forth? Uh, sure, Stephen. It's great to be here to discuss this really important issue, which many analysts are seeing as the United States about to have it uh, an own goal where we score on ourselves, uh, self-inflicted. And But to give you the history of where we are on this, the, it goes back, the Constitution under Article One grants Congress the sole authority to borrow money on the credit of the United States. And in 1917, it was the Great War that led Congress to set a debt limit to give Treasury more flexibility. It delegates the authority to Treasury and it gave Treasury Department more flexibility on how to uh, create that debt, how to how to to fund that debt. And um, which is really critical because prior to that, it was it was by by case. And so after 1917, we have uh, a debt ceiling placed. Uh, 1939, Treasury is given even more flexibility, which gets us to where we are today. We have raised the debt ceiling since 1960, Steve, 78 times. 49 have been under a Republican president and 29 has been under a Democratic president. And we've suspended it seven times. So today's debate is nothing new uh, in terms of what we're doing. What is really different today, though, and this is so important, uh, Steve, is that inflation has really changed the debate. I mean, at least for the past 20 years, we have been having discussions and arguments about how much our national debt has increased. And if you go back, let's go to 2011, which was the last time we had a very serious debt ceiling uh, uh, debate and the U.S. credit was downgraded in the run-up to that debate being solved, that issue being solved, uh, we had at that time uh, 40% of our uh, debt to GDP was the ratio. And today we're at almost 100% of debt to GDP. But for all these years, there has been very low interest rates. So we've been spending money that we haven't really been paying for. And inflation has really changed the the debate uh, this time around because the servicing of the debt is getting very expensive. 2011, it was 425 billion. In 2022, it was 710 billion. And the CBO projections are that it's going to be about equal to the defense budget. Uh, The servicing that will be equal to the defense budget in 2023. Uh, So 
really critical element of an increased cost. It's it's uh, uh, choking out the rest of the uh, national budget in terms of meeting our priorities and needs. And the other reason why inflation is so important is because the impact of either walking to the cliff, uh, which uh, we're about to do, that might cause a downgrade in and of itself and increase the cost of servicing uh uh, treasury uh, paying for the debt, increased cost of debt for treasury, uh, that has a direct impact on the American public uh, and the global community, but on the American public, which means that this debate or this crisis will be felt even in the run-up more directly because of inflation by the American public than it was felt in 2011 with much lower inflation rates. So inflation is a big game changer here. Uh, what are we facing? Everyone in this uh, involved in the negotiations right now, the uh, two principal leaders in the House, Democratic and Republican in the House and the Senate and the, and the president, uh, are all saying that uh, we need an agreement by the end of the week. Uh, it's looking better, uh, at least by uh, most of the parties. Uh, and President Biden is going to the G7, which he had indicated he would not do uh, if the uh, negotiations weren't moving forward. So, Looking at where we stand right now, uh, there really is, uh, you know, we can discuss the options, but there really is no option except negotiation. And even the president now is using the term negotiation. He had said he didn't want to negotiate. You couldn't negotiate again, the, the debt seal, lifting the debt ceiling. Uh, and he has as his experience, uh, the um, uh, 2011 uh, debt ceiling uh, raise that he actually negotiated. And he feels that what they came out of in that negotiation with the Republicans during President Obama's uh, term uh, actually hurt the economy. Uh, they were they were locked in this rush to uh, find um, spending cuts. They didn't increase taxes. Uh, and President Obama had to go out there to his constituents, constituents, and explain why they hadn't, why they were, uh, why they accepted spending cuts. So that that has really framed his sense of reference on this debate. But nonetheless, uh, there's nowhere to go once the Republicans and uh, Speaker McCarthy were successful in the House. Uh, passing the bill, it changed the complete uh, trajectory of this um, discussion uh, this year. Uh, it gave the Republican the Republicans passed a bill with a debt ceiling raise uh, that was linked to spending cuts. Uh, it put the Republicans in the game. It put the Republican proposal on the table. And um, they've been negotiating, burning the midnight all over the weekend. And uh, what we know what's on the table uh, is that there, there's agreement that we could claw back uh, COVID spending. There's an agreement, most importantly, on spending that spending cuts will be part of the package. And what's interesting is that there were the Republican bill really almost uh, eradicated uh, the uh, Inflation Reduction Act and all the climate proposals. And while the president said the IRA was off the table, he has said that um, increasing permitting is on the table. Uh, and that he he actually embraced Senator Manchin's bill uh, on permitting. So you see the framework of, of uh, a positive negotiation taking place. I mean, there are many issues. The most important is where the, where the cuts come from. Both parties have said not out of Social Security and not out of Medicare. So they're not looking at the non-discretionary funding, which is two-thirds of our budget. They're looking at the one-third, and Republicans have indicated, although this is not 
elaborated in, in their bill have indicated that defense spending is, is uh, can't be touched. And so you're looking at one third of the funding is discretionary. Half of that is defense. And uh, so the Republicans say the cuts should come out of what's remaining. And uh, the discussion is what will the cuts come out of. There have been a number of, particularly over this past week, options brought up. Well, so what I hear you saying, let me just make sure I'm hearing it correctly. What I'm hearing you say is that debt matters. It always has. But the reason that people have said in the past that debt doesn't matter is because when interest rates were almost zero, it didn't cost us anything. Now that interest rates have risen and you know it's 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 likely that interest rates will be normalized going forward it's going to cost us all of this which consumes more of the budget hence what i hear you say is that the politicians in washington are having a debate although they're not doing it as civilly as we would all like but they're having a debate over how, you know how to fund this how much you know how how much spending to cut how much how much taxes to raise how, how do you make the the funding work while at the same time preserving their policies. Is, is that a reasonable summary of what you said? Yes. Yeah, so and what's critical here is that the business community has always solidly stood behind not playing politics with the debt limit. And that's different this time because there are two issues on the table. There are two very serious issues facing uh, the viability and, and our fiscal health and our economic health. One is the debt ceiling, you know, not, not to go off the cliff and upend the economy. Uh, and the other is the national debt that we're carrying. We're at 100% just about of, of uh, debt to GDP right now. And that's supposed to double under conservative estimates, double in, uh, by 20 uh, in about 30 years or so. And the business community knows with especially increasing inflation, uh, you can't. we can't afford to go down that path any longer. So the business community is actually split and thinks, yes, we can't, do, we can't default, but yes, we should be looking at our, our debt to GDP ratio and the excessive debt that we're carrying. And so that's, that's very different. That's changed the, the dynamic this year. Got it. Okay, so what are the possible paths here? Well, there are, there are several alternatives that have uh, obviously very seriously were looked at in 2011 or being looked at again and dismissed in 2011. Uh, so one option is uh, the platinum coin. Uh, it was passed in an obscure bill in 1996. Uh, that was a commemorative coin bill allowing the government to, allowing the treasury to issue uh, commemorative coins, but no ceiling was set on the coin. It had nothing to do with the debt ceiling. Uh, but it was very has very cleverly pointed to as an option. Uh, the Secretary of Treasury has dismissed this as completely gimmicky. Uh, the Federal Reserve uh, has already said that it, it would not accept the coin. It puts the Federal Reserve in a political position where it's getting in the middle of a political debate on whether or not to raise the debt ceiling. There's, there are so many negatives, uh, and it doesn't solve the problem. Uh, you have uh, the uh, other options are really the same thing. They're just holding patterns. We're trying to plug the dam until you get a solution. One is prioritizing payments, uh, you know, uh, how Treasury could pay or not pay the um, uh, interest on the debt or Social Security, you know, just choose what it pays uh, to get through at least through July uh, when um, the, the tax revenues are supposed to increase again, 
plugging plugging a finger, putting a finger in the dam, you're not solving any problem. Uh, premium bonds, you know, you've heard that option too, same solution. And then there's Article 14. And Article 14 says the debt must be paid. It was a Civil War um, article to the Constitution that said the debt must be paid. It was a way to make sure Union debt was paid and that Confederate debt was not paid, uh, was not part of that, uh, that consideration. And uh, that's been talked about, but the president had even acknowledged, uh, although I think too much emphasis has been put on this by the media. What I think what the president was actually saying was that it would be legally too messy right now to be a solution right now, although he's interested in looking at it further down the road. So uh, the point is, Steve, and I really and want Dana to explain the seriousness of this, is that we are really in crisis right now. We are facing uh, going towards the cliff. We saw this happen in 2011. We saw it disrupt the economy. We saw it disrupt the global economy, the U.S. role leadership in the world, the, the value of the, the importance of the dollar at a time when China and Russia are accelerating their efforts to undermine the dollar as the uh, principal currency, uh, reserve currency of the world. Uh, we are in this crisis moment, and it has to do with um, not only the debt ceiling, resolving that, but also resolving where we're going in terms of fiscal health and as a nation, given the exorbitant amount of debt we've taken on. Okay, that sounds very worrisome. We're going to Take a short break and be right back with Dana Peterson's comments on the impact on the economy. What does the future of work mean for your employees? How will your company navigate ESG? Will there be a global recession? At the conference board, our experts translate the latest research and economic analysis into insights and real-time problem solving for your organization. Membership at the conference board provides your team with an assortment of knowledge from economics, marketing and communications, ESG, public policy, and human capital. As a member, you'll have access to our center experts, member-exclusive events, data and benchmarking tools, and peer sharing that will help you understand the present and shape the future. Consider becoming a Conference Board member today by visiting www.conference-board.org. Welcome back to CEO Perspectives. I'm Steve Odlin from the Conference Board and the host of this series. And we're talking about the debt ceiling. Lori Murray stopped at the end of the first half of this recording, and she said this was going to be a disaster if we don't raise the debt ceiling. And then, of course, we have to deal with the long-term implications. Dana, turning to you now, talk about why this would be a disaster. Sure, Steve. This would be an unmitigated disaster because it would... If we don't raise or suspend the debt ceiling or even just get rid of it, um, then we would breach, meaning we would exceed the debt limit and the U.S. economy would be cast into an instantaneous recession. And because that would be so significant and the U.S. is such a large economy, it would also push the global economy into recession and you'd also have an immediate global financial crisis. Now, we're talking about growth rates or declines in growth on par with what we saw during the pandemic. And that was really severe. And unfortunately, this would be something that is clearly and wholly unavoidable. Yeah. And so, you know, you're talking also about liquidity too. So, so you have all of a sudden GDP collapsing, not only in the US, but, but all over the world. And then you've got liquidity drying up for businesses. 
Absolutely. And and the key thing here is that the reason why you'd have a global financial crisis is because Treasury would lose the ability or at least the legal ability to issue U.S. Treasury debt. And U.S. Treasury debt is a massive portion of the global financial system. And so anyone who's holding that debt, that debt could potentially become completely worthless for a period of time if it's not resolved. And that would also definitely dry up liquidity and really hurt the balance sheets of, of banks and anyone who's holding those assets. But the other thing is, you know, if you went through this, presumably it would get resolved at some point because you just can't, you can't go infinitely with this. So, you know, even a short-term rattle like this would probably result in a downgrade of U.S. debt and maybe even challenge the U.S. dollar as the reserve currency, wouldn't it? Well, actually, even the activities that are going on now, the fact that we don't have a deal regarding a debt ceiling and we're coming up against probably uh, the June 1st, which is probably the X date, which is essentially when the Treasury completely runs out of cash, could prompt uh, investors and certainly the rating agencies to downgrade the U.S. debt. Um, And that's even without going through the debt ceiling. And certainly that would raise borrowing costs, not only for the government, feeding into the already outsized debt to GDP ratio that that Laurie mentioned, but also make it more expensive for businesses and consumers to borrow. Now, you know, we went through something at the end of 2018, beginning of 2019, which was not the debt ceiling, but it was the budget issues where they started shutting down what they called, you know, non- um, you know, non-urgent kinds of things. They shut down the national parks. They stopped paying uh, social security checks and they, you know, they furloughed workers and that sort of thing. So we got a little taste of it there. That was pretty minor. And the key thing is that that did not include security or major entitlements or air traffic control or the postal service. And security includes national defense and homeland security, which you need to travel outside of the U.S., and certainly major entitlements include veterans and uh, benefits for veterans, Social Security, Medicaid, and Medicare. Those things continued during that budget impasse. What's different about a debt ceiling is potentially Treasury would not be able to make any of those payments, and so you'd potentially have bedlam. Um, And in terms of the impact on GDP, when you think about how much money the government spends in any month, it's anywhere from a trillion dollars to $1.7 trillion. So if that gets wiped out over a period of four weeks, then that gets you a loan that cuts GDP by six and a half percent or even more, maybe seven percent, seven and a half percent. And then if you layer on the financial crisis aspect of that, where bond yields would essentially, who knows how high they could go. Uh, theoretically, they could go to infinity. Most likely, you'd see something like you know twenty to twenty-five base uh, uh, percentage point, percentage point, not basis point, percentage point increase in that. You'd also see the U.S. dollar collapse. Um, the stock market would just go crazy, and volatility would be extremely elevated, higher than what we even saw during the pandemic or the Great Financial Crisis. That adds on like another two percentage point cut to GDP growth. So we're looking at not only uh, a risk to society and national defense, but a massive drag on the U.S. economy, even if this lasts for just a few weeks. So why do some of these people say that, gosh, let's just, you know, let it happen, let it default. You know, you hear this from certain quarters and, and maybe we'll save some money from that anyway, because the government spends too much. So what do you say to those folks? 
Well, I would suggest that they probably don't know the repercussions, um, or maybe it just sounds cool politically to say that you can rile up your base. Um, but again, think about it. If all of a sudden there's no commerce uh, because we can't guarantee security, uh, no permits can be issued, so businesses can't do anything. There's no travel because the air, air traffic control would shut down. So all the airports and all travel would shut down. Um, that would put the U.S. at great risk, um, not only from external forces, but internally. And essentially, no one would be able to really go to work or, or engage because it would just be too dangerous. And so this is not this is a societal problem that we'd be creating by not by allowing ourselves to breach the debt limit. It's the government does serve a purpose in, in this spending, even though, yes, it's a lot of spending, but certainly you would have uh, complete chaos. And also, if anyone really cares about our elders and the least of these, none of those people receive their checks um, to help support them. Um, so this is not something that that we should want even as a political taunt. Yeah. And, you know, your point is, even if it happened, well, you said a couple of weeks, but even if it happened for a couple of days, it really does shake the reputation of the United States, not political, not just politically around the world, but really, you, you know, you have to have central banks and governments around the world saying, okay, it's time. You know, these people are not reliable. We we really do need to find a different way here. And that diminishes long-term and, and maybe permanently United States standing in the world. Absolutely, it does. Because when we think about the U.S. dollar, it is the world's default uh, reserve currency. And most transactions are done in U.S. dollars. Anything from purchasing commodities to uh, finance and trade. And so if the U.S. dollar is no longer considered to be a, a good currency to use, then certainly it would weigh down, weigh on businesses because they'd have to figure out, oh, well, now I have to carry many different types of currencies. And also many central banks, as well as investors, are invested in U.S. treasuries and U.S. treasuries are seen as a safe haven asset. So if investors and, and other central banks doubt whether or not the U.S. will make good on its promises, then that completely throws the global financial market into chaos and it also means that there's no longer a safe haven asset, and it'll be much more expensive for other for investors to find alternatives. You know, you you would think that uh, markets would be reacting, but if you look at the U.S. stock market, it's within I don't know a couple couple percent of its all time high. Markets around the world are not rattled. That just you know they're not the markets are not stupid. So therefore, the markets just assume this is just politics yawn. And you know it'll work out. Why is that a risky thing to assume? Well, I get it. I understand. And 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 the interesting thing is that markets don't operate on the same timeline or schedule as politics, as Washington does. So markets usually anticipate everything. They pull everything forward. They price it in. And then they forget about it when the event happens. If it's a non-event, it was already priced in. Um, if it is a big event, then you may see some volatility that wasn't already priced in. Um, but I think you know anyone who's been trading <laughs> or investing for a while knows that typically um, Washington does resolve these things at the 11th hour. And as Lori said, 
we have raised the debt ceiling in the past. And when we didn't, we suspended it, meaning we just kind of kicked the can down the road. We said, we'll come back and look at this in two years. And we've done that repeatedly and we've never breached. And so I think investors have difficulty pricing in and considering an event that has never happened and seems just uh, incomprehensible. Um, so it's either that or and or they just expect that there will be some kind of resolution like there always has been. But as Lori said, and I agree with her, I think this time really is different, just given the dynamics of, of what's driving our debt. And a lot of it is net interest because the Fed has raised interest rates. And it just makes carrying that debt so much more expensive. And there really aren't any, there, there are definitely sound policies that we've offered, but who's listening in terms of addressing the debt, which is the overall problem regarding the debt ceiling. Yeah. So Dana makes a good point, Lori. And, uh, you know, she's talked about the financial risks and, and, you know, she's made articulate point that this is really a silly way to have a debate over these things, but the, the committee for economic development, our, you know, the group that you lead our public policy center has put forth a, I think a very comprehensive recommendation set of policies on how to deal with this long-term? Maybe you could just summarize that. Well, there are a couple of key issues that all are under the rubric of what is the strategic objective? Where should we be going as a nation in terms of our fiscal health, Steve? And what the Committee for Economic Development and the trustees who are part of the Fiscal Health Committee have uh, recommended is that we need to target a more stable debt to GDP ratio. That's the significant uh, quantifier that, that will return us to fiscal health. And so 70% of debt to GDP is the ratio that the tre uh, our U.S. Treasury has uh, seen as a more stable uh, and, and as a strategic goal for debt to GDP, as has the, um, the uh, world international financial institutions uh, for developed economies. So that's the strategic goal. And um, to get there, though, is going to take at least 20 to 30 years, uh, which means you have to start now to get there. The reason why it will take that long is because you want to do it without real hits in terms of either spending cuts, tax increases, uh, so that uh, you continue your economy continues to grow and doesn't suffer deep recessions. 20 to 30 years. So to get to a debt to GDP ratio of 70%, remember we were at 40% uh, during uh, the Great Recession, just before the Great Recession. Um, just to even get back to that high level is going to take that amount of time. And we've got to get on a sustainable pathway. So what does that include? You've got to save Social Security. You have to include Medicare and reform our health care policies. Both parties have put that off the table. That's the non-discretionary funding. It has to be back on the table. And it's interesting because the Problem Solvers Caucus uh, on the Hill, which has both Republicans and Democrats, actually have that incorporated into their proposal for how to um, achieve uh, a better and more sustainable fiscal health through the, as a solution to this debt crisis. But going back to regular order, getting our, our political leaders to do what they need to do in the budget process so you don't have these discussions about spending and revenue uh, on the debt ceiling. You have it during the normal budget process that the uh, Congress is supposed to go through where you set a budget and you uh, the appropriators then deal within that budget. And you do look at your two major um, non-discretionary spending accounts with, with Medicare and, and Medicaid, the healthcare 
piece of it being the fastest grower. So basically there are sound recommendations out there. You've got, you have members of both parties agreeing that there needs to be some revisions, certainly to entitlements, but then you've got to increase the revenue and you've got to bend the spending curve. The problem is that we don't seem to have the political will to make it happen. And hence we have, we find ourselves in this situation over and over again. Except Steve, I want to end with a bit of optimism. I think Congressman Graves, who is is the um, uh, the speaker's handler, recently in his his uh, discussion on these issues over the weekend, said that he doesn't hear anyone in the Republicans among the Republicans in the House saying that we should default. I think there's a larger awareness on both sides of the, uh, the aisle, and CED has been briefing on our recommendations uh, to both Republican and Democratic offices uh, in the House and in the Senate. Uh, there's a real understanding that that there's a very serious problem. And that's really the first step, I think, that's critical here uh, to, to getting us back to a um, uh, better and more uh, viable uh, fiscal health course. Well, let's hope the cooler heads prevail. Dana, last word? Well, I hope that, that Lori's absolutely right, that the cooler heads will prevail and that we will avoid another debacle, um, and certainly one that could cast not only the U.S. economy, but the global economy back into recession and be the source of another serial crisis. Um, but we should still be prepared uh, just in case things don't go well and just expect, know what to expect should this happen. Lori Esposito Murray and Dana Peterson, thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Steve. Thanks, Steve. And thanks to all of you for listening in to CEO Perspectives. Every week, I'll be joined by a prominent thought leader to provide insights on the issues of our time. We'll cover the leading topics in geopolitics, economics, public policy, and more. Please share CEO Perspectives with your colleagues and with your friends. And please send this episode to every elected official you can find because they need to listen to us. I'm Steve Odlin, and this series has been brought to you by the Conference Board. You have been listening to CEO Perspectives, a podcast by the Conference Board.